is often the difference between life of a soldier and the death, and often life of a civilian and the death of these civilians. So something minuscule that costs a well-kitted first aid, individual first aid kits, they cost approximately in between 100 to 100 dollars it depends a medic kit can cost up to three four hundred so every every little contribution essentially that accretes into into this eventually saves lives so again it's imperative that we support them imperative that we continue to support these who are suffering from the war in one way or another and it's it's crucial that we 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 reach with our helping hand to them and provide these medical supplies specifically and other non-lethal aid and we can do it we have the capability we have the capacity and it's up to us whether we do it or we don't and then it's up to us whether we engage more people and specifically our friends, our families, our communities, our acquaintances, everyone. Let them know about what is happening in Ukraine. Let them know about how they can help. And let them know about Maria 8 specifically, because this is a good option and a good opportunity to do so in a very efficient and a timely manner, because the help is being delivered to the frontline hospitals in Ukraine. The help is being delivered in a form of medical supplies. And as I said, something as minuscule on the first on the first glance as individuals first aid kit is a difference often between uh, life and death. And just today we were joined by Roman Ratushny from the 93rd Brigade and he described the the difficulties of the medical evacuation from the front line, the difficulties of their situation because they're lacking armored vehicles, not just medical evacuation armored vehicles, all kinds of armored vehicles are lacking. They're using pickups and they're using individual first aid kits that often are not ideal. And uh, again, this is somewhere where we can help and the help is very much needed. So whoever listens to us, it doesn't matter where you are in Europe, in Finland, in Poland, in other parts of Europe, in Germany, whether you are in Canada or Australia, in the United States, in Oregon or in Florida or in the Midwest, all of you can help and you can reach out with your helping hand to these people on the ground in Ukraine who are suffering right now, who are victims of this war, and you can help them. And a good way to do so is via Maria 8. Again, they're linked here, even in the title of the space, linked here in the nest. And on top of that, despite making a contribution or financial contribution, I understand that not everyone can do it, even though a small one helps, because together, it becomes a bigger one. Even small one helps. But also what really matters is that we spread the word. We should spread the word. We should make people aware about what is happening in Ukraine. And we should make people aware about the ways to help. Not just, you know, blank support or indiscriminate support. There is a channel that we should promote and the channel is established, and the channel is reliable, and the channel is called Maria 8. So again, please support, please spread the word, and please help these people on the ground in Ukraine. And that said, back to you, Em, and Jen. Thank you, Walter. Again, if you would like to ask a question or bring up a topic for discussion, feel free to send us a speaker's speaker request. We have a couple of uh, empty speaker slots, and we will be happy to answer your questions or discuss your topics to the extent of our knowledge.
and indeed if you if you have a question if um if you want to contribute in any other way please request the microphone it's a button on the bottom left of your screen and simultaneously please slam share and retweet button it's a blue one with the plus sign share and retweet the space and also we have jen here with maria aid account give her a follow uh she's was a was a trident on a on the background of ukrainian flag and again if you have questions please request a microphone we are more than willing to address those if you want to contribute in any other way please also request a microphone and share and retweet the space give a follow to maria aid account and most importantly spread the word about maria aid itself and about the situation on the ground in Ukraine. Thank you. Back to you, M. And we have a number of requests. Fatima, please go ahead. Uh, thank you. So I have a very uh, precise question. I'm not sure if uh, you all saw this. Um, um, there was... Um, a TV uh, host uh, on the most popular Russian uh, state-owned TV channel uh, who said that uh, the Russian Sarmat missile can reach uh, London in 202 seconds and turn it into ashes. Uh, on Telegram, some users uh, contested that and they said that the, the fastest it could reach uh, uh, London, for instance, uh, if um, launched from Kaliningrad, uh, is going to be at least seven minutes. Um, so um, I just wanted to know, you know, if this is, you know, the Russians claim that their um, missile can reach, uh, the Sarmat can reach uh, London in 20, 200 seconds is you know has any uh, um, credibility in it thank you sure thanks Fatima well Russians claim a lot of things if you recall Russians claim that they will reach Kyiv in 2014 they claimed when they invaded Ukraine <laughs> they claimed that they will reach Kyiv in seven days uh, right now when they started this new Russian offensive on 24th of February which was almost three months ago right uh, two months and a half or so time flows. Uh, they claim that they will uh, essentially capture all of Ukraine in 72 hours. So, yeah, Russians love to intimidate. Russians love to fear monger. Or Russians love to f- saber wrestle with their uh, presumed na- nuclear or other uh, might. But we, we already have seen what Russians are in the field and how easily, on one hand, easily they are repelled, but how much effort from Ukrainians is coming to, to repel this Russian threat. So let's give them credit and let's give credit to Ukrainians in the first place. And at the, hand, the same time, let's not follow what, uh, what nonsense Russian propaganda and Russian disinformation and what kind of intimidation Russia tries to impose upon us. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they try to, 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 to proclaim about their capabilities. Whatever Russia says, it should be a general rule of thumb. It's lies. Russia lies. Russia denies. Russia intimidates. That's what Russia does. So the only response to that should be a smirk, a shrug, and a resolute and firm stance. This is what Ukrainians do, and this is what they have been doing since 2014 when Russia invaded Ukraine and failed big time to achieve its strategic objectives every single time. So the only thing that were, where they excel is Russian propaganda all this Russian nonsense about Russian weapons and other, you know, mysterious fairy tales. But it doesn't really matter what they say. As, again, as I said, it's lies, 
it's denial and it's fear-mongering. And welcome, Machi. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you, Walter. I just wanted to, uh, you know, define my question. I'm asking for uh, a technical analysis. I understand the Russian propaganda Project very House. well. Yes, Fatima, projectiles. So first of all, you need to analyze the missile. That's number one. Number two, you need to um, define and... Uh, Measure the destination between the Russian silos or the Russian Russian launch vehicle and target bank. Then you want to calculate that trajectory, and then you want to calculate that no anti-missile defense system is fielded between launch point and strike point. So we don't have that data. That's number one. Number two, I'm quite sure that the UK government and the UK Ministry of Defense is fielding a very robust anti-missile defense system. Number three, there are a couple of American assets in the vicinity that can intercept such missiles, and this concept in military anti-missile anti defense is called redundancy. So there is absolutely no point whatsoever at this point of time in time and space to worry about a Russian missile hitting the United Kingdom in two seconds, in 20 seconds, in 218 seconds, or in seven minutes, or 11 minutes, or any book written by Paolo Coelho, or whatever. It is not going to happen. Thank you. Also, also, if you look into one of the claims that was made, I'm sure they said they would, they would shoot, uh, they would fire a nuclear missile at the UK, they would into the sea off Ireland and it would create a, like a one kilometer high tidal, a nuclear tidal wave over the UK and Ireland. It's absolute horseshit. And just, you just need to look into it. And it, all the, it's, it's complete fear mongering. I, I spoke about it earlier. Uh, this nuclear, 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 it's never going to happen. And, and the, the sooner everyone stops bringing it up, it's going to be a, a lot easier because it's never going to happen. The, the, amount of, the amount of people it has to go through, the process to do it all, it's just never going to happen. All it's called saber-rattling, fear-mongering. That's all they're trying to do is scare the West. And, and the analogies they come out with aren't, uh, aren't even possible. Like What, what he said to, he would do, is, it's not even possible. So it just proves how stupid they are. It, it's just like, I don't get it. I don't get it, honestly. But if you're interested in it, Fatima, go uh, go and have a look at the, the their their nuclear capabilities and everything, and you'll see it's absolute tosh that he's speaking. It's it it, it wouldn't work. What what he said that they would do, it just wouldn't work. But I, I think we'll just we'll, we'll keep it moving up past the nuclear the nuclear subject because it's just it's becoming a repetitive circle. Yeah, sorry, but uh, the reason I brought this up is because uh, this famous. Uh, uh, American uh, director Oliver Stone uh, posted on Twitter um, uh, his opinion that uh, uh, the U.S. is preparing uh, um, uh, to hit uh, strike Donbass with a nuclear weapon. No, 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 uh, no, yes. no, no, no. Yes, Fama, Fama, Fama. that's Fama. what he did. You're supposed to be a fact checker. You're supposed yes, to be a fact checker, I'm right? Doing, so, I'm fact checking Oliver Stone right now. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, well, well, go and fact check him like, online and you'll see that is absolute crap that he's speaking. There's no way America would be planning on a nuclear attack in... in, in um, in the Donbass. That is crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Honestly, that's, that's made my day. You've made me laugh for that, Fatima, honestly. That's crazy. If people are coming out saying that, that's just what... Uh, he's probably... Oh, honestly, I'm lost for words. You've made, that's funny, that, Fatima. That's great. Yeah, well, he my... actually said that. <coughs> Oliver Stone is not really... Fatima, Fatima. Oliver Send me Stone the link, is not... Please. Is not Oliver Stone's not a ballistics I expert. I doubt he even studied simple ballistics in a mechanics course in any form of any scientific in engineering or any manner. He, the guy doesn't know anything about uh, Oliver Stone. Yehuda, oh take it from gosh. here. Oliver Stone is a Hollywood director. I'm not sure what else you want to hear about it. He's a professional storyteller, and you're kind of wasting time talking about a professional storyteller. Um, what he, I mean, do you ask your mechanic about cancer? Do you ask your doctor about your plumbing? 
you know, you, you know, gosh, it's just a waste of time. Uh, Guys, let me explain. The reason we usually there are motivations for picking up something for a fact check. The, the the main reason is the impact it has. This propaganda, we only pick something for uh, the bank when it reaches a significant number of the audience who actually start sharing and believing in what it said. So in this case, Oliver Stone's um, statements are, you know, shared all over the Russian uh, state media, all the Russian uh, the, Foreign ministries on Twitter, on all the social platforms are sharing. And, and, uh, and what does and that mean? Russian, uh, well, it means that it is having an impact. At least Russia is trying to use it for their propaganda purposes. So it's mm-hmm. worth of fact checking. Although, yeah. I no, no, hold on, hold on, Fatima. No. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. You said it's so everything you said there was up, was okay up until it's worth fact checking. So. Um, let me ask you, Fatima. Do you believe in black magic? <laughs> it's not that, Yehuda. This is no. I'm asking. I'm asking you. Yeah. I'm asking I you do. Says, I know you do. <laughs> do you believe in black magic? Yes or no? Uh, okay, so uh, just work with me. No, no, the, no. Yeah. I'm asking you a question. You can ask me after. Do you believe in black magic? It's a yes or no question. Oh. That's a difficult question. Oh, Lord. What okay. if I do? Okay, let's do you believe in the, okay, let's say you don't. Let's say you're a normal human being. You don't believe that someone can make a little voodoo doll of you and put a needle in your eye and your eye is gonna hurt. Okay, let's just assume <laughs> let's just assume. Let's just let's go out on a limb. Okay. So Russian media is reporting that they've captured Ukrainian positions and found evidence of black magic. Okay, so how do we address this? Do we say because there are 50 really stupid people in the world on Twitter who think that's a thing? Does that mean we have to fact? Let's fact check it. Hmm, let's see. What did Ukrainians have here? Oh, there were some chicken bones, some uh, chicken blood, maybe a feather, a diary page from Igor's. I mean, come on. I mean, if you have all the time in the world to do that, great. More power to you. I wish I had some extra time. But I'm not going to give – I wouldn't dignify – idiotic comments okay i really wouldn't it's if you if that's what you're doing professionally i i might want to i'd revisit that if i were you because you can't uh you know i mean in saudi arabia they've beheaded people for being sorcerers what does that even mean most normal people would ask so i don't need to fact check it okay can someone think they're a witch sure maybe they believe in black men i don't care i don't care i'm not going to make it a news item you know what i mean Let's deal with the facts. We, there's common sense and then there's zero sense. So let's just focus on on what's relevant. And I, I'm pretty sure that you would agree that focusing, well, maybe not. Maybe you think black magic is an actual, you know, like a thing the Ukrainians are employing on Russians. But I can assure you it's not. Okay. Uh, I think just... Uh... You know, not really a good comparison. Uh, black magic and a conspiracy about U.S. nuclear attack. And uh, a, I believe it's a perfect comparison because the, they're equally ridiculous. I I do know that, but still, you know, when the Russians uh, showed uh, people in Ukraine uh, at the beginning in 2014. Uh, you know, speaking about the Ukrainian forces crucifying babies, we actually looked into that because it was ridiculous, but people in Russia believed in that. The Russian television staged that, and we were able to find out that the person who were the, you know, the only person, the only person, the only, the only person in the world who has ever spoken about putting babies on spikes was Eddie Izzard in a sketch. Yeah. In a, in a stand-up comedy. It's just, it's ridiculous, Fatima. You know that everyone knows that. And I was sorry to interrupt you there, but we have the Canadian response now wings for the British response. Go ahead, wings. Okay. Yeah. Hi, Fatima. Um, uh, listen, mate, I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly talk you through it, okay? Um, since the 1950s, when um, America fielded something called Regulus, which was a submarine-launched cruise missile, we have all been living under the threat of nuclear annihilation, okay? Now, in the 60s, we made the transition from one big missile, 
with one big, say, one megaton warhead to these missiles um, that carry things called um, MIRVs, multiply independent um, re-entry vehicles, okay? Uh, and what they did was they put these MIRVs on, and each one's got a smaller warhead. The idea is that it saturates um, a target. So it might have five 10 kiloton ones. It might have 12 three kiloton ones, all right? Now, the Russians and us developed this um, in parallel, Um so in the UK, we had uh, Polaris missiles and we had something called Chevrolet, um, which were our own um, UK design warheads. And everyone knows that the reason that we did that was to saturate a nation's air defence. Since then, in the event of, of what we call a strategic exchange of heavyweight ICBMs, so that's land and sea base primarily, backed up by air launch nuclear cruise missiles, you, me, Yehuda, M, and everyone listening has been under the threat of nuclear annihilation because in a strategic exchange, there will be nothing left. Because even like, if they... Uh, sorry, so, sorry, hold sorry on, hold I'll, I'll add... No, 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 Wings, you'll continue. But basically, do you remember does, the scene from uh, what a Crimson Tide? Right. Well, everyone respects Denzel Washington. You know, in nuclear warfare, the only enemy is war itself. That's, That's it. Wings, please continue. That's yeah. So we've all been living under that threat, Fatima, all of us. And the reason that it hasn't happened is simple, because if it happens, it is the end, the end of everything. Russia knows it. We know it. The Americans know it. There is a zero-sum game. There is literally nothing at all to gain from using them. There is, however, gain in threat. Uh, but gain in threat is, is mitigated if the opposition also has them, which is why we have MAD, mutually assured destruction. Nobody really will even think about using... A, anything above a tactical warhead. Now, I think it might be a possibility in desperation, but even then there are huge checks and balances involved because it is a given that escalation from a tactical weapon will inevitably lead to an intermediate exchange and then a strategic exchange. It's why the Russians didn't come across the border during the Cold War, because they war-gamed it. And they said, well, in order to break through NATO lines, we might have to use some tactical nuclear weapons. And every war game that they played and every war game that we played saw it escalate rapidly into uh, intermediate weapons. So instead of hitting army units, hitting rail junctions, railways, ports, and then suddenly everyone was hitting cities. And then that was it. It was an endgame scenario for everyone. So nobody's going to do it. The real danger here is purely friction between NATO and Russia. And again, you can kind of discern from the way everyone's behaving that the Russians and NATO are being pretty careful. There are little things going on. NATO will fly somewhere, then they'll back away quickly. Um, the Russians will deliberately um, have their ships alongside, like their, their nuclear submarines alongside. Everyone's being fairly open about it. Yeah, you can argue that the French put three nuclear-armed submarines to sea. Actually, I've got my doubts. I think one was at sea, one was on its way to relieve one at sea, and one was probably post-refit trials. Nobody knows if all three of those were ammunition. The only people who know are the crew and the people in the French Navy. So, so far, everyone's being pretty, pretty sensible. I don't really think there's any danger of a strategic nuclear exchange any more than you and I have been living under for decades uh, and that our parents and grandparents lived under. If, and it's a big yes. if, if it's a really big if, the Russians went down the CBRN, so, you know, chemical, biological, radiological or nuclear, they would do it after very, very careful assessment. And there are checks and balances in place which would make sure that NATO did not overreact. And if the Russians did it, it didn't impact on NATO. But it would be a huge stepping stone. It, yeah. would, it would be damnation for a very, very long time. Any chance of, that they have of being welcomed back into the civilised world would be put back decades. 
it would be considered a crime that, that would stain Russia for a hundred years. It's, so it's it a, would... Yeah, let me jump in. It's also an action that none of their even erstwhile allies will tolerate. So that'll turn a China and India so far against them as well, because there's no justification for a nuclear uh, strike of any kind, tactical uh, or otherwise. So it's really, I think we, I think you've uh, demonstrated wings that the, uh, I don't want to belabor the point or, or uh, get into fear-mongering. It's really not an issue. Yeah, I, I, think, I think a chemical attack is more likely. I think a very localized one, simply because they've done it before. So they've got, they've got previous on it, and they've got away with it before, and the world did nothing. I think, yeah. I think there would be... Well, they did nothing because it was in Syria. Or... Let's be honest. Yeah. They did nothing because yeah. it was in Syria, and they didn't care. Unfortunately, for Syrians, yeah. I, I but... think this would be different this time. I, I oh, just... I, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that they are now. I think it was probably something that they've considered before. I think the reaction of NATO and and most of the civilized world has actually made them step step back a bit. And I think if they do do it, it's going to be on a very localized level. They're going to try and do a deniability, um, but they will not go past a local kind of engagement where they think we can well you know it wasn't us it, it was then look there's only a few dozen dead that kind of thing but the repercussions not military from nato the other repercussions which which the uk has already said you know we regard all kinds of things as weapons of mass destruction so they know that there would probably be retaliation but not in the form that we all think like military you might find a massive cyber attack on russia or, or something like that or um I, I don't know but there will be repercussions for yeah. so i really wouldn't i wouldn't stress about it i'm not waking up every morning looking out the window and then singing praises right. to the lord because i'm still alive and we are a very 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 long way from anything like that and i think there are a lot of people around putin who is you to keep saying they want to live doesn't matter how mad the madman is in charge. He needs people around him in order to initiate certain things. And most people in Russia are quite keen on staying alive and going out for dinner on a Friday night. So, yeah, don't yeah. stress. And in order to put this fear to, to bed once and for all, first of all, I would like to highlight a fact. The U.S. government canceled a scheduled nuclear test so that no one in Moscow goes on and miscalculate anything. And I have Artwar to address the whole Oliver Stone thing, and then Machi is going to put this to sleep for good. Artwar, and then Machi. Artwar, please go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I'll be very brief, um, because I'm actually I'm, I'm meant to be in a, in a meeting right now, but I, I have one earphone from one de device in each ear currently. Um, people need to be aware of a thing called the Mitrokin Archive, um, it was a series of KGB archives handed over um, by de facto Vasily Michkin in 1991, 1992. Um, and one of the best books about it was released um, not too long ago. It's called The KGB in Europe and the West. It's by a guy called Christopher Andrew. And in that book, he highlights specifically how there was a deliberate and targeted operation by the KGB in the, UA in the US uh, to permeate and, and birth the sort of JFK conspiracy theory that um, that Oliver Stone became famous off the back of. Um, interestingly, they, they used a, an activist slash writer slash lunatic called Mark Lane, um, who, who sort of did his best to kind of, you know, for, for all the faults that it had, he, he took it to the extreme in terms of sort of defaming and undermining the Warren Commission and, and subsequent investigations. Um, but he also later life wrote a book called um, The Last Word, I think it's called. You can Google Mark Lane, Last Word. Um, interestingly, in that book, um, guess who contributed a chapter? Oliver Stone. Okay, so this this guy is, if, if he's not, a, a, you know, a part of the fifth column, he is, he is a, a useful idiot um, by the dictionary definition. That should not be taken seriously on any geopolitical matters. That was all. Thank, Thank you. you so much for saying this. Yeah. Now, Mache. Uh, sorry, Yehuda. Let's let's go with Mache first, and then Yehuda. Mache, please go ahead. Yeah. So I have just listening to conversation, and I think great arguments were made. Uh, but uh, as a journalist about fact checking, I actually agree with Fatima. Sometimes you have to fact check things that you know are patently false, just to give people who might be might be gullible 
uh, a reason to have factual basis for, for disproving the claims. But how do you act as a journalist when, when you do fact-checking? Let me give you an example. Yesterday, somebody sent me, actually, I think it was Artua, but it was doing circles around social media, a fake uh, uh, order from Polish general staff that said that Polish army will be securing Lviv Oblast and Volynia Oblast uh, infrastructure. Well, uh, what you do is you don't go on the public space. For example, I'm often uh, part of discussion panels on TV and I don't go there and say, well, I heard this thing about this order. I don't know if it's true. Maybe we can fact check it together. Or I don't post it on social media and I say, well, people, I don't know if it's true. Maybe we can fact check it together. Uh, I go behind the scenes to my sources and check, for example, if the name of the general that is uh, named in the order is actually correct. And what it turns out, it's not correct. He's been retired uh, since the beginning of April and the document itself is falsified. Then I can post it on my social media, for example, and say this thing is false. This is disinformation. Uh, so I don't go discussing it with people before I actually do the fact-checking work myself. So what I have a problem with, with is people coming to a public forum and saying, let's talk about that. Is this disinformation? Let's do a public fact-check. Because in that case, what we are doing, we're not actually doing a fact-check. We're just spreading the disinformation because we might not everybody might know, uh, have uh, pertinent uh, information. So uh, so that would be my problem with uh, the, the approach that some people make. Yes, sometimes really dubious, really on, on face, uh, face value, dubious claims and stupid claims have to be fact-checked. But please do your work uh, as a journalist and, and do it uh, accordingly, not on a public space, because that's just spreading disinformation. Yeah, and I'm going to, Fatima, before uh, I'm going to finish my point. I'm still kind of getting messages about the black magic comment. I mean, you, you got to just be serious uh, with us and yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, no one, no, like, I almost want to ask you, when you watch Harry Potter, is it, you know, fantasy movie or is it a documentary, right? You, you can't, we can't talk in that vein, at least not here. Um, you know, we don't, we don't ask ourselves, is, is Harry Potter... A true story, you know. I heard this guy he had a wig and a scar and petroleum spectrus, and you know it's not all true, but it's maybe parts of it are true. If if we're at that level, we might as well go back to nursery rhymes, right, uh, and fairy tales in school. So please, um, let's just let's just be adult here and uh, and uh, and focus on the facts, right? If you want to talk about babies, God forbid, being murdered and tortured, uh, that's a claim Russia can make, uh, and then you know you do the fact checking. But like, for example, what I gave you, when I gave you an example specifically of Russian media claiming items for black magic were found at a Ukrainian headquarters, I think any normal human being at that point says, okay, well, I'm, that's not, I, I can't talk about that anymore just because it's ridiculous. And I, I was hoping you'd agree with me. Okay, so... <clears throat> I want to make a few points. I accept the criticism, but uh, let's talk about this chat and these spaces. The way I treat these spaces is an educational news analytical spaces where people come to learn about including the Russian propaganda and disinformation. And when you wanted to educate people, you actually present the case and let experts and analysts discuss it in a way that absolutely debunks the Russian propaganda. So my approach to this is by bringing this up, telling the people this is what the Russians are saying, or for this case, what Oliver Stone is saying. And... I'm not scared of the nuclear... I'm, I'm saying this not because I'm scared of the nuclear war, not because I'm worried about myself. I'm a human as everybody else. I've been to wars. I know what it means. But the reason I bring this up is not because of fear, but because of educational purposes. I'm a journalist. I want to hear from experts and analysts. I can't dismiss this absolutely as a nonsense. But to do that, 
I have to verify every single technical and analytical uh, geopolitical <laughs> detail in it. That's what so, I Fatima, can, can you can you help me then? Who, what expert would you call in to debunk the black magic? Would you call in a white warlock? Uh, what, what, who's the expert to debunk black magic? I just, I, if we're, if we're going to go down that road, let's just, let's just lay it out here. Who's the subject matter expert on black magic? Can you, Asufi, can you tell me? Asufi, Murad, you stop right there. Don't, don't feed this. Go ahead, Fatima, please. Okay, Yehuda. I want to repeat once again, your reference to the black magic and to the conspiracy theories feeded by the Russian government and actually very malicious and harmful is very different. Two different things. They don't stand on the same level. Emotionally, yes. But if you go from the analytical approach, no, they impact people. And that impact is my goal to prevent or to reverse if possible. I hope you understand what I I don't, I don't, because you did, when I asked you about the black magic, I was expecting a hard no. And then you said, well, may, you know, may, you know, could be sort of, and I just, I think that's kind of takes away from your professionalism, if I'm being honest with you. Oh, no, Yehuda, stop there, because when I said about the black, my answer about the black magic was as provocative as your question is unnonsensical. Sorry. Okay, but I, I was repeating what, what the Russian foreign ministry was saying. I was giving you an example of why we don't have to, quote-unquote, fact-check everything when some stuff is palpably, like, ridiculous. Yehuda, may, may I respond to you briefly? If, if, if you're a white warlock wizard, please go ahead. Close, I'm close. I'm almost I'm an Irish leprechaun. <laughs> um, oh, a lot of word, wordcraft <laughs> people here. I'm loving this. Um. So I, I actually I, I agree with both what, what Magic said and what Fatima said, but I I think what Magic said makes complete sense. And, and when I've seen when I, I've, I keep an eye on some Russian sort of uh, Telegram channels, when I see weird stuff, I'll generally try and you know keep it private and speak with so so with the sort of the fake Polish document. It was like okay, Magic's obviously the the obvious person to reach out to. Um, but I think what, what I think you're missing what Fatima actually said. She wasn't presenting. Sort of Oliver Stone's claims as you know as um, as as even feasible um, in any way, but what what she's doing is she's highlighting that you know this this is a narrative that is currently in social media, and you know we're all it's very clear we're all on the same you know side here, um, but but we ourselves are in in somewhat of an echo chamber, right? Um, and we're we're not aware maybe of what is being spread you know between sort of pro-Russian accounts or, or even people that just aren't very well educated. And I think what Fatima is actually saying that you know, this this is what is out here at the minute, and and how can we combat this narrative? I, I don't think she she was presenting it um, equally as as she wouldn't present you know the black magic um, kind of narrative as, as something that is you know feasible or valuable or, or or even realistic. I think what she was saying was this is a narrative being pushed by a Western uh, you know filmmaker with significant influence, whether he should have it or not. And as I pointed out, he really should not. Um, I think what she was saying is, you know, this is the narrative that is out there. Um, you know, in a couple of bullet points, how could we could we combat that? I, I think that's what she was saying, and I I personally do see value in that, um, especially on this space where we can sort of have level-headed discussions about that kind of thing. All right. Well, maybe if we can just do a petroleum spectrus and just change the conversation, that'd be great. For Lane has her hand up. For Lane, please we, go ahead. Can we move on? Can we move on from this topic? It's too oh, wait, hold on. Moment. John John Spencer wants to chime in. I got to hear this. Maybe I'm missing something. Oh, no, no. I don't, I don't want to chime in on that. All right. Thank you, John. Words. Words. Hey, I, I John, love the leprechauns. Lead us out of the combat zone. Leprechauns, dragons, and, uh, you know, I, other... Uh, mysterious creatures with uh, nuclear rockets i will say i wrote a i wrote a chapter in a book about the game of thrones so i'm not totally unbiased here uh, about the use of walls in war uh so you know selfish pug there, there it, has you dra- it has dragons in it too but 
Dragons are cool. Listen, I just just when this whole propaganda and misinformation thing, I accidentally, as I was doing some uh, work this morning, I logged into the wrong uh, room, and I thought it was very similar to our name, and I just uh, I just had it on, and uh, it said something about Lieutenant General Cadieu, Canadian, uh, captured in Ukraine by Russians, and uh, and sadly it was mostly I think it was half Canadian, half American, and it was on for a good forty five minutes, and. And if you want to talk about fear mongering and going down rabbit holes, I, the conversation went from, yeah, the, the general was captured. They were arguing whether he was sent by the Canadian government to protect the bio labs or he was sent to negotiate peace with the Russians because of the nuclear. And, and these are ostensibly sound like normal people. Like I mean, at the grocery store and have a conversation. So I, I think we joke about the, the, the silliness of some of this stuff, but you'd be surprised that people just take something and run with it. It's like broken telephone that becomes like a policy in some people's mind. And I've never, I've always joked about it and thought this stuff's not interesting or no one could actually fall for this, but here we are and we're seeing it play itself out on the, in the information war online. Um, I think people, I, I don't think you can, this is not the time to teach people or help people, but it's, it's certainly quite interesting to watch, how, how people convince themselves and, and frankly delude themselves. I don't know. That's, that's, that's something that's been pretty interesting to me. I don't know if anyone else has the same experience. I would say that certain religious texts and certain uh, conspiracy theories and certain uh, postmodern concepts and certain new age concepts have been successfully weaponized in Russian disinformation over the last two decades. And that right now we're seeing the fruits of that. Torres, did you, did you have a chance to ask your question? Torres BC? No, I was going to speak on this uh, whole Oliver Stone thing, but I decided that we wanted to change the subject. But I, I am just going to drop in. You know, if you go to, if you look at all, you know, all of his, what he's been saying on his uh, Twitter page, it, it's obvious he's just a nut job. I mean, you talk about that Canadian. Well, that's all over his 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 page. The Canadian general who, you know, it's nonsense. And and so is his business about uh, the the nuclear. Um, Wars in the uh, dropping a nuke, a nuke in the east of Ukraine, and so is uh, and so is his crazy conspiracies about JFK, and so is his crazy uh, um, stuff about. Uh, he's he's also out there saying that that the the bodies in in, in uh, um, found in north of Kiev were were. We're fakes. We're we're dummies. We're positioned by it. it he's, he's he's not really honestly. He's just not worth talking about. Yeah. And just just a note to listeners. I mean, here's a perfect example. We have John Spencer in the room. He's a very smart man. He's got the years of learning and experience, and he could probably speak to fifty times more of the topics that he does speak to. And yet, often when asked, maybe sometimes by me goading him, he won't answer. He says, you know, I'm not an expert on that. I'm not, you know, so that should tell you something. When you're getting your information from sources um, and they, they're very specific about what they want to speak on, chances are it's because they know what they're talking about with respect to that topic. And maybe they feel that their opinion, no matter how smart they are, on another issue is not really germane. That's called professionalism. If you look at a guy like Oliver Stone, he seems to be an expert on absolutely everything. On bodies being placed, because I worked in Hollywood, you know, uh, missiles and, uh, you know, ballistic missiles. Well, I did a movie about missiles once. I mean, the man knows everything about everything. Uh, zero humility. Um, that's often a good indicator. You know, when, you, when I've had great professors in university, when I had um, Major Giroux on. You know, how many questions did he say? You know what? No idea. Don't have a crystal ball. I'm not Russian. Not going to answer it. That's what professional, that's what professional teachers do. So I would recommend be discerning in where you get your information from and who. And, uh, and that probably help you. I mean, the information battle is real. And, and you know what? Um, Oliver, this comment about Oliver Stone talking about fake bodies. 
Now, maybe in another situation, it would just be you're kind of a loony dude. But in this case, he's a genocide denier. So he's just like someone saying the Nazis didn't kill Jews. Ooh, I don't think that's a true picture. You know, I don't believe it. Oh, the shadow of the sun in 1942 in June didn't look like that. Those aren't real. Like, that's the kind of, um, that's the insidious nature of these conspiracy theories. It's not just I'm an inquiring mind who wants to know. It's you are now actively participating in Holocaust, genocide, denial. You are giving sucker to Russian forces to continue what they're doing. So you become a part of the problem. So it's not, it's not just funny and sad. It's actually insidious. And I think we need to remember that. Uh, go ahead. So, uh, Yehuda, thank you. You just confirmed my point from the very beginning. Yes, we need to conquer this. We need to uh, show that everything he's saying is absolute nonsense. But not say it emotionally. Say it based on facts. Verify every his claim with facts and show it's all false. And he is serving the Russian government the worst way you can imagine for humanity i mean that's my point go ahead john yep thank you no i i i wanted to ask some questions about anything from mario pool but i can stand by and wait but that's my question no let's uh we got some stuff from mario pool the avastol attack started about 20 hours ago does anyone have any updates for that Well, they sent in uh, one of their people over there, and they're probably looking into filming something after they finish the attack. It's not going well. Yeah, I saw something about a, even a clearing rubble, even thinking about doing a like a mini parade there. So it could lead to why the massive assault is happening now over the last... Um, you know, they're trying to get up-to-date information. I know that communication was lost, um, is what they're saying, and kind of mass media, but... This is where I come to get my, my real information. Affirmative, sir. And there's also an advance against Izium. I did see that. Like 20 BTGs? Affirmative, sir. Yeah, 20 BTGs on that Izium advanced. Yeah, not not good. This is, this is the moment that they want to win for their so little celebration. They, they are, have never... Artois, please go ahead. Yeah, but if Izium is not... If Izim is not uh, supported, basically, they have 24 to 48 hours. Yeah, just with, with that sort of large counteroffensive we saw um, to the east of Kharkiv, um, it, it seems now that the supply convoys for that Izim push are now within range of Ukrainian artillery. Um, there's a video sort of circulating in the early hours of this morning, um, European time anyway. Of a, of a very large convoy um, supporting the Izium push, getting absolutely annihilated by Ukrainian artillery. Um, so that's that's going to stick a spanner in the works for that. I'm not unconvinced it's a well-planned delay or a planned delay. You know, I'm not sure how, um, you know, I'm sure delays aren't one of our, delays aren't one of those defensive operations that, that are always, you know, clean looking there, John. I don't know if you know what I'm tracking. And I sent you a signal message of... Um, uh, an updated map. I don't know if you've, you've probably seen it, but it's uh, pretty telling. and It's got the different axes there. If you want to check. Checking. This looks like a Jomini photo. Yeah. I mean, the, the map symbols are all kind of kooky and strange, but you can you can figure out what they're saying. So Doc wanted to ask something as well. Uh, Doc in KC. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, we yes, can. We can. Uh, good afternoon. It's mostly for uh, Colonel Spencer here, I think. But um, actually, I had two questions. One, there was a guy in here yesterday uh, talking. He was with the 93rd, I think. He was a Ukrainian soldier. And uh, talking about how their evacuation times for their uh, wounded are 48 to 72 hours from the front. And I was wondering if any of you had any insight on what, first off, if we feel that there's a duty to care for Ukrainian and potentially Russian casualties. And um, if we, like what, what the wider world or what Ukraine 
in general are doing to sort of alleviate that and get that back under that 24 hour, um, you know, the 24 hour golden hour or golden, you know, time frame that we're trying to get people off the line and into care. It's usually supposed to be 60 minutes, but one day I thought is kind of what Ukraine would go for. Um, and then the other thing, uh, for Mr. Spencer, looking at this fight in Izium and just in general in the East, I know you're a student of, um, uh, urban and that a lot of experts are saying that this is not so much of an urban fight out in the East, but I look at the terrain and it kind of looks like it is. And I was hoping you could kind of speak to what you can, Ukraine can do here in the fight in the East to leverage urban. That's all I got. So uh, on the casualty evacuation, right? So the golden hour is from basically point of injury to next level of care. So, you know, without having been here to ask um, our friend, but you can, I would assume that there are, you know, medical personnel in the location of, of some of these sites that would then provide, you know, additional care, which then can triage and sustain the casualty before that further care, you know, basically getting them back. So the one hour is really from like contact to the level one, what we call level one um, aspect, aspect of care. Of care. You hear me? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm referring to is just getting yeah. them yeah. off the front to the level two or the level one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at the, there was a question there about care for Ukrainian soldiers and then care for Russian POWs, which they have been doing, which is the, in accordance with the law of armed conflict, what it's required to do and what actually helps fight the information narrative. So I'm a big fan of that. I mean, I, I, mean, I can't tell you based on the situation, it's clear it's going to be different. And, and in the urban terrain, it allows for um, extra levels of, of, of medical aid. And we know, you know, like our good doctor, Dr. Walter, that there are doctors serving in things like territorial defense and the National Guard that I'm sure are, you know, adding to the level of care that can be given to wounded personnel. So kind of, you know, when the one hour is really from a military, like, you know, military going into an environment that they don't control, getting them to a care of, of their, but even I experienced this in large explosions when people were wounded, whether in Baghdad, it was an Iraqi security force or an Iraqi civilian, usually their, their, their ability to throw that person in the back of a pickup truck and rush them to the local clinic was much more than the military could do in, in an hour, to be honest. Uh, and we still, you know, evacuated uh, Iraqi security forces with our capabilities. So the aspect on the urban trend, you're right. And, and again, it's hard to, you know, simplify the complex like the terrain, like we do in here of, of Eastern Ukraine on, it can go from wide open farmlands flat where you can see you know, where the ranges is like 40 miles um, to, you know, heavily wooded terrain where you can't see more than four feet in front of you, which allows for ambushes to marshes to all that. But all roads lead to urban. Uh, the fights that we're, you know, we're seeing and that we'll continue to see will be about urban. Of course, you, you draw concentric circles outside of that. You want to fight people if you can away from the urban and then let them go into your kill zones. And then, but the urban terrain are your rocks you know it's what they want, right? So in, in this Izium salient, we know they want things like Kramatorsk uh, and, and other cities that are vital to either encircling other forces or just vital to logistical lines, i.e. cutting logistical lines or preserving your own logistical lines. So no matter what anybody tells you, yes, there are graded ranges in the east, and although that's a really oversimplification of the terrain in, in Ukraine and eastern Ukraine to include the great distances. This will be about urban fights for sure. That is the culmination point. That is the objectives, the operational objectives. I mean, it's not the strategic objective in this war, um, but it will be the operational objectives that support achieving the strategic objective, which is to basically annex all of Donetsk and Lenesk. You can't do that without that urban fighting. So the Ukrainians can that are already holding urban terrain can use that greatly to their advantage, even – overwhelming fire and that's where we started off right where i started off in um 
understanding and they have been preparing for now two months to defend those, whether it's Robizna um, or other cities that can utilize the urban defense to stop what we know and we're seeing in real time what the Russians want to do, where they're going to throw massive amounts of force to do it, to take things like Kramatorsk and other cities. And I don't, I mean, some people this morning talk about Dnipro. I mean, come on, man. Uh, you know, it's just, they don't have the, the numbers that it takes, right? Cause there is this force ratio thing. They have the firepower of course, to, to support maneuver. And I think that's one realization that, you know, people that kind of watch urban warfare and understand that, you know, there is different reasons that you fire on urban areas. Some of it's this, this terrorism that Russia does like in Kharkiv where they might not have no plans of actually attacking it. They're just either fixing forces that are inside the city or just terrorizing it. So when you see massing of fires though, in support of maneuvering forces as in like BTGs on the move, then you get a lot more concern, but then the urban train still allows you to withstand some of the fire while you wait for that moving force to try to close the distance. And then you set up, basically kill zones and obstacles and all that to kill them. Hopefully that answers that. There are a lot of questions there. Yeah. Thank, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. No problem. I'll, I'll just relay what was said from the 93rd by Roman Ratushnik, who's with reconnaissance sure. in, in their battalion. So essentially uh, regarding the evacuation times right now, it's two to three even days just because they shifted to some kind of an open field area. And uh, the biggest problem again, according to him, is the lack of armored vehicles overall, and specifically armored vehicles which could facilitate the evacuation from such conditions. So, in case, essentially, they, they rely heavily on pickups overall, just because of the lack of armored vehicles, and in case of medical evacuation too, and in case if someone gets wounded, this not not really works in the current conditions that they're currently in. So ideally, they would have an armored evacuation medical vehicle, which would uh, essentially evacuate the wounded. But right now, they have to wait for a protracted period of time just because of that. Yeah, the one. So that's just so everybody knows that's these two hundred one one threes and all these one one threes, which are really just boxes of metal. They're a box of metal. That's one of their main capabilities is to be casualty evacuation vehicles and they're, they're pretty lightly thin but they're much better than the pickup truck yeah i was yeah. hoping somebody would pick up on the 113 thank you yeah, yeah no problem all right, we, right. a couple of uh, hands up yeah sorry Yehuda. craig go ahead go ahead sorry hey um i wanted to talk about conspiracy theories so if we want to move past that that's totally cool no conspiracy theories for the rest of the afternoon. I think we had our dose for today. Eva, please right. go ahead. All right, cool. Okay, one. Yeah. You call on me? Yes, ma'am. Please go ahead. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, I've been listening to quite a lot on your space, um, and I'm also very thankful that you're providing this all around the hour. Uh, all around the day and um, I am wondering coming from Germany um, um, what is the role of Germany in this Ukraine war um, I mean I understood in the last two days that um, the US um, has uh, started um, providing a, a flow a constant flow of weapons and ammunition to the Ukraine, um, because the um, th those are the things. The material uh, is what is going to win the war, um, and due to um, the the small amount of uh, of tanks or um, uh, or weapons that um, Germany is saying to. Uh, to to uh, to ship to uh, the Ukraine, and also in the end of the year, which uh, uh, now seems to have uh, um, 
pacified the uh, the mood of of others saying okay now germany is finally following in um i wonder what role it plays um to me it's like uh the us is supplying uh, the really major part of um 